Welcome to the April 3rd sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and the sermon is entitled, The Day of the Lord, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we come together, we know God is going to bless us. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me in the New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians. For those of you who are new with us, For the last 25 or 30 years, I have been walking through different books of the Bible. Uh, I'm right now walking through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, uh, and this is an amazing little book. You know, as I've read it over and over through life, when you truly sit down and give it a hard, hard study, it is so deep. We have some deep theology to cover today. Uh, We're in this study that takes us through these two letters that St. Paul, the missionary, wrote to a church in the European city of Thessalonica. Uh, Paul and his mission team, if you remember, they started out their ministry on the continent of Asia, their home country. However, as God allowed the mission team to go forth and preach the gospel, he said, I want you to move from Asia to a brand new, untapped, pioneer continent of Europe. And so God sent this mission team, this preaching team, to the European continent, And as they sail across the Aegean Sea and as they get into the continent of Europe, they disembark on the city of Philippi. And the first Christian church in Europe was established in the city of Philippi. But the city leaders did not like the mission team being there. They didn't want a Jesus movement in Philippi, and so they were punished and beaten and run out of the city. And instead of saying, well, life is hard here on the European continent, I think we'll just quit and go home, They moved on to the next city, the next large city in line, which was Thessalonica. Uh, As you look at the history of this church of Thessalonica, you know, the history book of your New Testament is the book of Acts. If you look in Acts chapter 17, you'll see a little more of the history of the church of Thessalonica. But as Paul and his mission team come into Thessalonica and they preach the good news of Jesus Christ there, there were many people saved. Some of them were Jewish, some of them were Gentiles, people of different backgrounds, different cultures, people who, in essence, didn't always get along together. They weren't the same color, they didn't have the same background, and yet these people in Thessalonica were saved under the grace of Jesus Christ through the preaching of this mission team. And Paul took this group of diverse, different people and united them together in the church. He founded and established a church, a brand new church, in the lost and idolatrous city of Thessalonica. The interesting thing is, as you think about this, God took a whole different mass of people, Jewish and Gentile, and put them together in one church. But what we learn is this, they could work together and they could minister together and they could reach their lost city because the Holy Spirit of God lived in their hearts. It overcame all of their cultural differences and all of their color differences and all of their background because Jesus lived in them and united them together and brought them together as the church. The church today works on the same principle. We're different people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and yet because Jesus lives in our hearts, He makes us one church with one mission. Amen? Now, we have many ministries, many ways to reach out, but we have one mission, and that is to take the love of Jesus Christ to the world. It begins right here in this sanctuary and online, but we go to the world with the love of Jesus. It's the same scene that we see here in Thessalonica. So as the mission team 
Puts another church in Thessalonica, same scenario developed for them. City leaders didn't want the mission team there. Again, Paul and his team were punished and run out of town. They left behind a brand new church with brand new Christians. Paul would have loved to have stayed there and pastored them and discipled them, but he didn't have that opportunity because they were run out of town. So the next best thing he could do was write two letters of support and encouragement and teaching to this little church, and we have them in First and Second Thessalonians. And the amazing thing is God allowed Paul to write these two letters to a little church in Thessalonica, but it has spoken to the church for over 2,000 years, and it's speaking to us today. And what a wonderful blessing that we have the Word of God. So from a distant location, Paul writes these two letters back to this little church in Thessalonica. He's probably in Corinth or Athens in that area writing these letters back to the church. I pray that as we look at this letter, it speaks to us. He tells the church at Thessalonica, you're living in a hard culture. You're living in a hard place. You're living in an idolatrous city. But stand strong, church. And 2,000 years later, in the culture in which we live, the word is still the same. Stand strong, church. Stand on the love and the word of Jesus Christ. So open 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. Again, we're going to be in some deep weeds of theology today, so hang with me. You know, most people are very interested in humanity's future. This book deals with the end times. It deals with a subject that most people are thinking about, especially in this world of war and political unrest and all of the things that are happening in the world scene this day. People are interested about what's going to happen to this old earth. What's going to happen to humanity? So I pray that as we look at this letter that it speaks to us, God's truth about the conclusion of history and how the Lord is going to deal with humanity in the conclusion of pulling all history together to an end. So with that, I've worked on this sermon over and over again to make it understandable to every person, whether you are deeply entrenched in the Bible's Word and you're a student of the Word or you haven't opened a Bible recently. My prayer is that this Word will speak to you. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 today. Open your Bible and hear these words with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, go to verse 1. So Paul writes this to the church. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, 
we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now back up, I want you to to underline verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, there is his will for you. God does not want one person to go to hell. God wants every person to know the love and the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. That is God's specific will for you. If you hear my voice today, I'm saying this to you, that is God's will for you, that you know Jesus as your Savior. Go back to verse 1 now. Chapter 5, verse 1. So Paul writes to this church, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, or brothers and sisters, so these are people who are kin to him because they know Jesus as he does. Of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Now the words times and seasons... Those words are in both your Old Testament and your New Testament. Basically, that simply means this. God is going to carry out a timeline that God has already in his mind and in his calendar ordained a timeline for humanity. It is set on his calendar, and he knows what's going to happen. That which is ahead of us, that which we do not know, God already knows. God knows what's going to happen in our future. Now, if you're new to the faith, I want you to hear this. Every single day has a purpose on God's timeline. Today has a purpose on God's timeline. The reason you're here is because you have a purpose on God's timeline. And he has a word for you and me to hear today. We're not floating around in some pointless universe. God has a purpose and a reason for every single day that you and I get up in the morning. God has a specific plan, and he wants you and me to be a part of it. So we're living out God's times and seasons right now. Every day is a part of God's time and seasons for us. And God is drawing us one day closer to a conclusion. On God's timeline and on God's calendar, there is a day that is already set that is ahead of us. We don't know when that day is coming, but it is on God's calendar, and we're living in the days prior to this day that he has on his calendar. It's called the day of the Lord. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, Underline, circle those words, day of the Lord. A very important phrase in your Bible. We're living out God's times and seasons waiting on this day of the Lord, this one specific day that is on God's calendar that is absolutely in our future. So I want you to understand, church, those of you listening online, those of you in person here, this is not a fairy tale. This is an historical event that is going to come in our future. This is not the creation of my mind. This is the Word of God. This is truth. This is what... The Bible teaches us this day of the Lord. And here's the way I interpret the meaning of the day of the Lord. You have to begin a little earlier in Scripture. Last week we covered 1 Thessalonians, the end of chapter 4. So listen to me here, especially if you didn't hear last Sunday's sermon. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 describes the day when Jesus is going to return for his church. 
He is going to break through the clouds, and he's going to physically and visually appear for the world to see. There's going to be a shout from Jesus himself. There will be a call from the archangel. There's one archangel, by the way, mentioned in the Bible. His name is Michael. So maybe the call comes from Michael, the archangel. And then also the trumpet of the Lord will sound. But all of the world will turn its attention to this visual appearance of Jesus breaking through the clouds. He never touches down on earth. This all takes place in the air, according to what Paul writes. But not only does Jesus return in the air, but also all of the saints, all of the souls of Christians who have lived and died on earth prior to that moment, they've gone to be with Jesus in glory, but they are returning with him. So Jesus is visually seen in the air, but also all of the saints who have died before are with him. All of the souls of those who have believed in Jesus Christ are with him as he visually comes on that one particular day. But not only does the earth look up to see Jesus in the sky, something else happens on the earth in that all of these souls that have been with Jesus have left their bodies behind in graves and in cremation urns and at burial at sea, wherever bodies have been buried. But all of those bodies rise up in resurrection, perfect bodies, to meet the souls in the air so that now everyone is complete as they meet with Jesus in the air. Christians are joining Jesus in the air. But listen, those who are walking on the earth, those who are still living in this moment that this day comes, Christians still alive on the earth will also instantly, in a twinkling of the eye, the Bible says, they will instantly be changed into their resurrection body. So if you have cancer on that moment, no more will you have cancer. Heart disease, no more will you have heart disease. Physical problems are no more. Your resurrection body is a perfect, eternal body. And the moment that Jesus breaks through the clouds and the souls receive their bodies, then those who are living also rise in our own resurrection bodies and meet with him in the air. So on this day, there's this huge, amazing reunion of all the Christians of all the ages with Jesus in the air. Families will be reunited. Those of us who have lost children along the way will see our children again. Those of us who have lost our parents, loved ones along the way, will see them again. This huge reunion that will take place on that one day. Everybody with me? The day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord when he raptures, brings home his church, his people. And Jesus is the centerpiece of all of this happening in the air. So listen, believer. Whether you and I are alive on the earth or whether we have gone on home to glory at that moment, we are going to be part of this indescribable event. I want you to understand that. Carry that away today. I'm giving you the truth of God's Word that you and I will see and be a part of this event on that day. It's an amazing thing. It's indescribable with human words, really. But listen, on the other hand, on this day, all those who have ignored and all those who have refused and all those who have rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior are left behind on that day. They will step into the great tribulation, seven horrible years of judgment from God, stressful, painful days. You can read about those days in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. 
So when Jesus returns, and let me say this very quickly, it could be at any moment. It could be before this sermon is done today. It may be within five years. It may be within ten years. It may be within the next century. We don't know when, but we do know it is a fact it's going to happen. We won't figure out when it's going to be, but the Bible says don't try to figure it out. Only God knows when this day is coming, but you just be ready when it gets here. Be busy about the work, believer, when it gets here. So when Jesus returns, it's a moment of glory for Christians, and it's a moment of fear and trembling for those who have refused him. That's the day of the Lord. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5, here's the way Paul the missionary describes people without Jesus. People who have never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior when this day of the Lord comes. Look at verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. For when they shall say, they, who are they? They're the people who have never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are the unsaved. So, verse 3. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So people without Jesus as Lord and Savior, according to Paul here, are just living life. When this day comes, they're just living life. They're peaceful in their routine. They're doing what they've always done. They've just been taking care of their earthly things, establishing fame and fortune, building up earthly treasures and bank accounts and upgrading their cars and giving in marriage and just living as usual day by day by day living the things of earth living what you do on earth but everything of life is centered there everything of life belongs to the earth there's no glance to heaven there's no glory given to God there's not a Bible to be found in their home Sunday morning church is the farthest thing from their mind Late breakfasts and ball games, those kinds of things, the earthly things are what's on their mind. So folks are consumed with the daily routine of earth. I'm not talking about terribly bad people. I'm not talking about axe murderers here. I'm talking about common everyday people who just don't know Jesus and have not looked up to see him. And they're just going about their daily life doing what they normally do. Folks are consumed with the daily routine. Well, in verse 6, Paul pictures just good people. People who are just normally good people, but they're asleep as he pictures them. They're not knowing what the truth, what the reality of the situation really is. They've been lulled into thinking that things of earth are much more important than things of God. So they give no attention to God, no thought to God, no prayer to God because they're taking care of the things of earth because that's the important thing. And they give no thought to the holy, no thought to God's righteousness. All their life is simply spent on temporary stuff. The Bible says that all of our stuff and all of our stuff that locked away in a bank vault somewhere and all of our stuff that's parked in our garages and all the stuff that we live in, all that stuff is going to rot and consume away. It's going to be nothing one of these days because it's very, very temporary. That's what the Bible says about our stuff. All of us have stuff. I have stuff. 
But it's temporary. All of us have very temporary things in our life. But the day is going to come when all of those things won't matter anymore. And day after day goes by, and people without Jesus just keep looking down at the things of earth. But they haven't looked up to see the love of God. They haven't looked up to see that their life has a much higher purpose than the things of the earth. They haven't looked up to see that a Savior came and died on the cross for them and shed His own blood and laid down His life so that they could have life everlasting. They're so concentrated on their things of earth, they haven't looked up to see the love of God. Good people, but they're still lost because they haven't looked up yet. They're only looking down. And then this final day comes, and they're caught by sheer surprise that the day has come and Jesus has come for his people. And a vast population of Christians and believers who are living on earth, they're gone. And church houses are empty because church members are gone. And the people who represent Jesus' love and ministry on the earth are missing because Jesus has taken them home. They've been drawn off the earth, they're gone. And Paul says, just like pains suddenly hit a woman when she is ready to give birth to a child, this sudden coming of the Lord catches people who have just looked at earth all their life. It catches them by surprise. And they're shocked at what is going on around them. And then all of a sudden, they look around and say, you know, my stuff is not really that important. The Lord Jesus has come, and what I've invested my life in all my life, I realize now is very temporary and very unimportant. And they, they see that, and days of God's judgment are upon them, Paul says. Well, that's the description, according to the Bible, according to the inspired word that Paul wrote to this little church, that's the description of the day of the Lord I'm striving to be as true to Scripture as I can be in these moments. It's a glorious day for Christians, and it's a bad day for the lost. It's a horrible day for the lost. Now, don't forget, this is a letter to the church. This is a letter written to a little church in Thessalonica, and Paul turns his attention now to the church. What should the church be doing in these days prior to the coming of the day of the Lord? What should we be doing? We're not here, church, to kill time. We're not here simply to swing the doors open and shut the doors till next Sunday. We're here for ministry. We're here to take the love of Christ to a world that needs Him. Remember, these Christians in Thessalonica are under persecution. And they struggle every day to be a church. Their culture hates them. The city leaders don't even want them in the city. But they're serving Jesus. They know they're saved. They know that they're living by God's plan. And so they continue on as a church. Remember, they're baby Christians, a baby church living in a hard city. Look what Paul says to them, verses 4 through 6. Chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. But ye, now he's talking to the church, brethren, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light, and the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So Paul says, church, you know the outcome. 
and you know this day is coming, you're awake to that fact. The lost are asleep to the fact, but you're awake. You're children of the day. You understand what is coming for you, and you know that living for Christ is ultimately what is important in your life. All of us have our stuff. All of us have a bank account. All of us should be working on a retirement account. All of us need to do those earthly things. Pay your bills, pay your taxes. All those things Christians need to do. But they're not ultimately important in us. Rather, serving the Lord Jesus Christ is what's important for us. And Paul says, be sober, be sharp as the church. Don't lose your purpose. Don't let earthly things overshadow what the Lord is leading you to do. Be busy about ministry. Teach your children about the love of Jesus Christ. You need to pass the faith on to your children. You need to pass it on to your families. You need to share this good news with others outside of the church. Be busy about ministry. Love people out there. Lift up your eyes and look people in the eye and say hello to them and smile to them and give them the love of Christ. And when the Lord opens the opportunity for you, speak the name of Jesus to them. Don't ignore the culture outside of your doors, church. Be busy about ministry. Help all people come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is what's ultimately important in their life. I want you to understand, church, there are simply good people, good husbands and wives, moral people, good people. And they're out there in the world. They just haven't gotten it yet. They haven't understood how much a holy God loves them. And they look down at the things of earth and they look at all the things that take uh, the time of their life but they just haven't understood how much Jesus loves them. There's the breakdown. They just haven't understood how much Jesus loves them and what he did to save them. Now, here's the key to the whole passage, the message today. Church, show the world Jesus. Church, show the world what's important. And that means that you live with that importance in your own life and in your own family. That you're raising your children in His love, in His guidance, in His discipline, in His grace. That you're passing the faith on down, not just through your family, but also to those who are in the circle of your life. You see, Jesus came for one reason and one reason alone. He was born in a manger as a baby, taking on flesh, lived a perfect life, so that he could, at 33 years old, lay down his life on the cross as a perfect human being. And he was ultimately punished as a perfect human being so he could be punished on behalf of someone else. Me. And you. Whether you're here in this sanctuary or sitting in another country, he died for you and me. He died because he loves us because he wants to forgive our sin, because he wants to make us sons and daughters of God. Personally, I also love a sister passage to this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25. You don't turn to it right now, but read it sometime. Jesus' words, it, these two chapters, 24 and 25 of Matthew, describe this very same day, the day of the Lord. And Matthew addresses the suddenness of Jesus coming and he stresses the separation of the lost and the saved but Jesus here 
in Matthew gives us the exact prescription of what the church ought to be doing every day before the day of the Lord comes. So turn with me to one little verse. If you'd like to turn your Bible there, keep your thumb in 1 Thessalonians. But if you want to turn with me to Matthew 24, verse 14. Here is the prescription. Write this down, circle it, star it. This is the prescription of the total ministry of the church in these days prior to the day of the Lord. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So Jesus himself said that our desire is to take the gospel to every nation of the world so that every person hears an invitation to come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's important that we understand the events of the day, It's important we understand the unrest we live in and the wars that are around us. But the most important thing Jesus says in Matthew 24 is preach the gospel. Share the good news. Bring people to me, church. That's what your ministry is about. So listen, church, that's our our work order. To share the gospel. The church is to love people and invite people to come to a Lord who loves them so much that he died on the cross. We preach that gospel in love. That's our heart. That's our message as a church. Listen, church, we're not here to condemn any person to hell. That's not our job, to condemn people to hell. We're here to draw them to the love of Christ. We're here to share a Savior with them. Look at verse 8 very quickly. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul is building up the church. He says, your heart is protected with the breastplate of God's love, his faith living in you. Your your mind, your head is protected by the helmet of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to take this gospel to the world, the hope of salvation. So Paul tells the little church 2,000 years ago in the church today, God has given us life. And he's asked us to share it with other people that they can have life as well. Stand strong on that. Well, as I come to the end of this sermon, I want to end on this note. I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to make my intention to make you fearful of what's going to come. But rather, I'm here to share with you an invitation. I want to tell you the Bible's truth. And it's this, without a doubt, that day is coming. That's the Bible's assurance. But if you've never asked Jesus to your heart, there's an invitation that you need to hear. You know, in Genesis chapter 7, there's a great story, and most of you will know it immediately. If you've had any introduction to the Bible at all, you'll know it. It's about a man named Noah. Most people know that Noah built an ark, big old boat. And it was to ride out a flood of judgment from God. In 2 Peter, in your New Testament, there's a description of Noah. It probably took 75 to 100 years to build the ark. But Peter said that during that time of building, that Noah preached salvation. That Noah invited 
the population around him, if you want to ride out this storm of judgment coming from God, you need to get on this ark. Well, people laughed at him, thought he was a nutcase. And so the final day comes, and no one gets on the boat except eight people, Noah, his wife, three sons, and three of their wives. And when the boat was sealed and shut, the rains of judgment began to fall, and people realized that indeed the day had come. But it was too late. The boat was shut, and people perished in judgment. I want you to be sure to hear the invitation that Jesus wants to save you, and Jesus wants to love you, and he laid down his life on the cross, and he rose from the grave to give you forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. That's what he wants, but you have to say yes. You have to receive him. You have to accept him as your Savior. If you've never done that, this is not my invitation. He just gives me the privilege of speaking it. You come to Jesus and say, Lord God, according to Romans 3, 23, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. And I have a broken relationship with God because of my sin. But I believe that you went to the cross to heal my relationship. I come to you as my Savior. I accept you as my Savior today. And I promise you, I promise you by the Word of God, on this day of the Lord, you will rejoice for this day that you said yes to Him. If you need Him, you come to Him because this one decision will change your life and change your eternity. And you need to come now. He's waiting for you now. Whatever you need today, he's ready to minister to you and to me. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, this sermon is hard-hitting. But I pray, Father, that this congregation from here in person to out in the world knows that this is the Word of God. It is truth. I pray today, Father, that we understand your heart, that Jesus wants to give life to every single one of us, But it takes a decision from every one of us to say yes to Him, to accept Him as Savior, and lay down our life and surrender to Him because He's forgiven us and now is not only our Savior, but also the Lord of our life. And we will live for You and not ourselves. Bless us in this moment, Father, brothers and sisters, that we rededicate our lives to living for You and taking Your love out of this church into the world. And I pray for that one person who has never given his or her heart to Jesus, that today is the day to say yes to him. Whatever the need, bless us in these moments, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.